Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again this morning. God bless you. I am so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for Alpha on Monday uh, Monday evening. Uh, And for all of you who have already passed out invitations, invited your neighbors, or bringing people along to our dinner gathering at Frisella's Restaurant four Mondays in a row where we're going to look at uh, 20-minute videos that introduce people to the Christian life and allow us to have conversation around the table uh, and, uh, and ask big questions together. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of a church that is an inviting church, not a church that's hidden away from the world, but a church that's out there trying to love people in Jesus' name. Uh, that, is, uh, that is what gets me up in the morning. And I'm thankful that we're in this series called Territories, in which we're, we're looking at how Jesus sends us out into the world to care for lost people in his name. We've been in this series for several weeks now. And uh, as, as you know, as you watch world news, territories are moving in the world uh, as we get this, uh, this uh, terrible news in Russia and Ukraine of, uh, of war and, and uh, threats of war. And, uh, and as these physical territories shift, we know that there's a, a shifting of spiritual territories in the world as well. And so we want to be on the forefront of God's kingdom expanding in a world that's always going to be filled with wars and poverty and disease and danger. And we want to be the ones on the forefront of loving people in Jesus' name and saying, we have found something that is better than this world. It, it deserves our allegiance. It deserves our trust. It deserves our whole lives. And so here we are uh, to follow after Jesus. Today, as we look at this, uh, this big concept of territories and how God's territories move, I want to look at a, a contrast that occurs between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Hebrew scriptures and the story that begins with the life of Jesus, because there's a pivot that happens. And it might not be immediately apparent, but it is immensely important. And so I want to look at this, this contrast, this shift that tells us about how God's territory will expand. Uh, Before we go to the text together, let's say a prayer. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that your kingdom is expanding in this world and that you call bold people to follow after you and to take up the cause and to make your name known in this world. So place your spirit in our hearts and give us the courage to go out in a dark and scary world and to point towards you, to live confidently and hopefully without fear or anxiety, knowing that we rest in the hands of a good and loving God. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to the text. I want to show you this contrast that exists between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, you have to understand, first of all, uh, what the disease leprosy Uh, is all about, where it came from, what it is. It is a a bacterial disease which uh, is contagious 
and which uh, as it spreads does a physical damage to the body. It damages the nerve systems uh, and it, uh, it causes people um, ongoing uh, pain and threat of life. There's now a cure for it, but that cure did not develop until between the 1960s and the 1980s. And before that, it was always this isolating disease, which when you caught it, caused you to be separated from family and community and work and hope for a normal future. It was a, a horribly debilitating disease. And we see encounters in the Bible of uh, biblical characters who, who meet people who have leprosy. And there were very different approaches to leprosy between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's how the people of God were instructed to deal with leprosy in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, verse 25. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower face of the lower part of their face, this is the world's first mask mandate, and cry out, unclean, unclean. You are to walk around drawing attention to the fact that you should not be approached so that you didn't infect anyone else. Uh, and then in Numbers chapter 5, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease. Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they will not defile the camp where I dwell among them. The Israelites did so. They sent them out outside the camp. They did just as the Lord had instructed Moses. I can't imagine what it must have been like to realize you had a disease that was going to forever separate you from everything and everyone you had loved. It was going to give you a cursed life as an outsider, as someone who is unapproachable. We have literally nothing equivalent to that in our modern day world. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we used to be terrified in middle school if you had to get both braces and glasses at the same time like that doesn't even apply anymore my kids looked forward to getting braces and glasses but back in the day that was our one sort of social stigma back when you're in middle school and you think everybody's looking at you even though nobody's looking at you because everybody's just looking at themselves and we were so terrified that we might have some some marker on us that served as a social stigma that other people might be afraid of and and, and if that was the the worst we experienced can you imagine the horror of realizing you had a disease in which you, you literally were going to be pulled away from all of normal society and physically sent outside of the culture to suffer and die alone, to live among the other lepers, to, to live this isolated, depressed life. Well, the, the Hebrew scriptures approach this by saying, separate them out. The New Testament tells a very different story. This is a story from the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 17 at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. See, they stand far away from him because you're not allowed to approach somebody for fear of making them unclean. They said in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. That's important because the Samaritans are outsiders. They're considered by the Jewish people to be the wrong race. There's a, a history of, of racial tension between the two. And they're, they have the wrong theology. They believe the wrong thing. So the Samaritans are rejected by the Jewish people. And the leper who comes back to Jesus is somebody who, who is seen by the Jewish people as an outsider, as a reject. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go forth. Your faith has made you well. So understand the contrast here. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, a leper could make you unclean. In the New Testament, you can make a leper clean. In the Old Testament, if you got near a leper, you would catch the disease. In the life of Jesus, we see the disease healed. In the life of Jesus' disciples, we see the disease healed. So in the Old Testament, the outsider can make you unclean. In the New Testament, you make the outsider clean. Let that sink in for a minute. Because when it comes to following Jesus, that applies on a much larger scale. Look at the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, with whom Jesus always had arguments. Jesus was in conflict never, nearly every day uh, with, the, with the Pharisees. Look at the, look at the way the Pharisees approached life. They believed that you should stay away from Samaritans because they were the wrong race. You should stay away from women lest they cause you to stumble. You should stay away from the injured because they can make you unclean. You're not supposed to touch blood or, or uh, be polluted by people who are sick. You're supposed to stay away from certain kinds of foods which were impure. You're supposed to avoid working on the Sabbath, which was terrible for them. And you're supposed to stay away from the Gentiles, the outside nations who had false gods. That wasn't just a small group of people. That was the dominant culture around you. If you lived in that world, you would assume that's normal. The most respected people in society lived life that way. And then Jesus comes along. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do to expand God's territory on the earth? Jesus befriended Samaritans. And they become the heroes of some, some of his stories. He talked with women in public, traveled with them, and made them his first evangelists. He healed the injured and the unclean. He said you could eat whatever you want. Amen. He healed on the Sabbath. And he ministered to the Gentiles. Imagine what it would have been like to be a good Jewish person in the first century world and see Jesus doing all the things you weren't supposed to do. Jesus expanded God's kingdom by breaking all the rules that religious people were following. If you're a good churchgoer today, just realize that if you had lived in Jesus' day, you could probably quote the chapter and verse of the Bible that showed what Jesus was doing wrong. 
you, you would know exactly which rules he was violating. And most likely, you would have voted him out yourself. But if you were a person who had been deemed unclean by society, if you were a person who had been rejected by the churchgoers, you would have embraced the love of Jesus who welcomes unclean things and makes them clean. If you had been rejected as unclean by the churchgoers of the day, you were very likely to have become a follower of Jesus. Always before, you had stayed away from things that could make you unclean. In the life of a disciple of Jesus, you go and you make things clean. This all, uh, this all pivoted in, a, in an important council uh, in the book of Acts at chapter 15. This is the first real council of the church. In the early centuries of the Christian church, it became the habit to call together significant leaders to a designated time and place to discuss important matters of debate and decide where the church stood. The first real council of the church happened in about 50 AD, and it's recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 15. We call this now the Council of Jerusalem. And at the Council of Jerusalem, they got together to dispute the fact, to deal with the fact that people who are not Jewish were becoming followers of Jesus. These were the people who had always been unclean. What are we supposed to do with them? Always before we stayed away from them. And now it seems like God's territory is moving and unclean things are becoming clean. What should we do with that? Should we welcome them in? And if we do, do they have to follow all of our rules? The big issue of debate was circumcision, because that had been a marker that you were a young man in the Jewish faith. Are they to require that of Gentiles who now, as adults, are converting to Christianity? Uh, you'd be surprised. It was a bit of a sticking issue. A lot of people didn't want to do that. And so they got together, the Council of Jerusalem, to discuss and debate what to do. Acts chapter 15, verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. That's not a surprise. The first person to the microphone at every event was Peter. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Well, that's sort of a joke. It's the apostle Paul who's reaching all the Gentiles. Peter actually likes, prefers hanging out with, with Jewish people, although we think Peter did end up going to Rome. So maybe he's, maybe he's uh, being a, a little bit honest here about what's coming. But the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, by giving the Holy Spirit to them. This means that they were radically transformed when God's spirit came into them. They were given spiritual gifts, like the ability to heal the sick. There was a, a distinct, tangible transition in their lives. They didn't just start going to church and getting attendance stickers. Their lives were transformed because they received the Holy Spirit. Just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. That which was unclean became clean when the Holy Spirit entered into it. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke 
that, ne that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. The yoke was that, that wooden beam that an ox would use to pull a plow, and the Jewish teachers would refer to their teaching as a yoke, as a, a burden that had to be carried. And Peter's saying, why would we put a yoke of following the Jewish laws that was too much for us on people who aren't even Jewish? No, we be believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Um, this, is, uh, this is a passage that's close to my heart. And it's going to be deep in the DNA of real life church, because you can never fully escape the DNA of your founding pastor, even when he's gone. We've got about 15 or 20 years that I'm going to be here and pastor this church. And in that time, we're going to make this the best church in the world by doing exactly what Jesus called us to do. And that is expanding God's kingdom on the earth by loving lost people. We're, we're going to love the morally corrupt, not because they've gotten themselves cleaned up, and gotten everything fixed, but because they are lost children of God. We are going to love the legally questionable. We're going to love the emotionally scarred. We're going to love the theologically wrongheaded. Not because they've converted and gotten everything fixed, but because they're lost children that Jesus loves. We are apprentice shepherds of the good shepherd who loves to go seeking lost sheep. And you don't win people over to a new kingdom, over to a new territory by telling them that they're stupid or shaming them or guilting them. That's not how the kingdom of God expands. Jesus came into a culture where that was the practice. And he loved all the people that the religious people of the day did not love. I dream of a church that works like that. I see a church that has formed that works like that. I dream of a church that loves the unclean in Jesus' name because we believe that the spirit that he has put in us is powerful enough to make the unclean clean. Always before you have been taught, stay away from unclean things, they will corrupt you. And now I tell you, the spirit that God has placed in your heart is greater than the spirit of the world. Go and love lost people in Jesus' name and watch how he purifies them by faith. It's important that we pay attention to the order of things here about, about how these things happen because there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of pastors who say, we're going to go out there and conquer the world and we're going to convert them. And then they'll be clean. And then they'll be loved. There, there are a lot of pastors who in this, in this last season, in this last couple of years, have preached a very angry message in order to attract a very angry audience. And it's worked. They've, they've capitalized on the anxiety and anger that floats around our culture in the pandemic era and the post-pandemic era. And they preached a gospel that said, I will hate for you the things that you hate. And those are bad shepherds. And the day's going to come where they end up in a kind of hell. I'm not talking about their salvation. I mean, when you intentionally preach a message to attract the angry and the anxious, guess what happens the first time a conflict breaks out in your own church? A dynamite factory can be really productive until somebody lights a cigarette. You and I don't want to live in a church that's built on anger and anxiety at the unclean things of the world because that's not the church of Jesus. 
Jesus went out to love unclean people and to invite them into a kingdom where by faith they might receive the Holy Spirit and then be made clean. We, we tend to get the, these things in the wrong order in the church. Uh, and it reminds me of uh, uh, something that, that happened um, when I was a youth pastor many years ago. I was working with the teenagers at the church. And, uh, uh, that, you know, when I was young and a, I was a bachelor, and uh, so I'd, every now and then I was home and I, and I wanted dinner. And so I would call one of the students in my youth group. And, uh, you know, I was a guy in my 20s and, you know, kind of free-floating. And I'd call a kid in my youth group and go, hey, uh, uh, do you guys have uh, um, food? at your house, and uh, I'd get myself invited over to dinner, and so uh, I did this one of these days, and I was over at this kid's house, and I, he was playing video games or something, and uh, he says, yeah, go, you can help yourself to anything in the refrigerator. I was like, great, and so I opened his refrigerator, and uh, in there, I find there's this cup of yogurt on the shelf, and I, I picked it up, and it, it had expired a year before, you know, it's, it's one of those cups where you look at it, and you're like, I kind of want to open and smell it. No, I'm not going to, and I just threw it away. We're done with that. And then I looked in the refrigerator and I was kind of digging around a little bit and I found some, some leftovers that were petrified. They, they had, you could see the fossil prints in them, right? And so I threw those away. And then I realized I had kind of a bigger project in front of me than I had first thought. I wasn't just getting a snack. I was actually cleaning up the house. So I started going through the refrigerator, organizing things alphabetically and throwing away things that had expired. And at that point, this kid, this teenager's mom walks in the room and sees me doing this. And she says to her son, uh, why is Pastor Jim uh, cleaning out the refrigerator? And the, the kid said to his mom, um, I think he's moving in. <laughs> now, I didn't exactly do things in the right order because what you don't do with a house is go clean it up and then decide that you like it and then that it's your house. That's, that's, not, that's just not how that works. Have you ever moved into a house or an apartment? You don't, you don't go clean it up first and then buy it and then decide you love it. That's just not, not going to work. It goes in exactly the opposite order. When you move into a new apartment or a new house, you check it out and there's something about it that you love. There's something about it that, that makes, makes you want it to be yours. And then you move in and then you get to clean it up. That's the right order of things. You love it first and then you buy it and then you get to clean it up. Well, guess how God laid claim to the territory of your heart? First, he fell in love with it. Then he moved in. He bought it with his blood. And now he's cleaning it up. That's the right order of things. First, he absolutely recklessly loves you when you do not deserve it and are not lovable. And then he moves in. And with the blood that he shed on the cross as he died for your sins, he bought you. And now he is cleaning those things in your life that, that need to be made holy and healthy so that you can live the life that he made for you. Guess how the church is supposed to love people as we spread the kingdom in Jesus' name. Guess the order in which we are supposed to do things. First, we love a lost and unclean world in the name of Jesus. Then we move into the neighborhood with compassion and grace. And then as we are invited into relationship with lost people, we let the Holy Spirit clean us and them together and make us a new people. That is the right order of things. That is what the church is called to. That is what the church of the last 2,000 years, in any era where it has been effective, that is what we have done. You love first, 
You move in with a message of grace and compassion. And then we let the Holy Spirit clean us together. There's a, there's a whole bunch of Christians out there, a whole bunch of churchgoers who are looking for a place to hide out and avoid an unclean world. That is not how the territory of God moves. One of the biggest explosions of God's territory in history came when ancient Rome fell to the German tribes. In the 5th century, the Germans came storming down into Rome. You know, Rome had become opulent and comfortable. They sat in their coastal cities drinking their wine. And the beer drinkers who were used to cold weather came storming down like a bunch of linesmen into Rome and sacked it. And if you looked at it from a, just a generic historical view, you'd, you'd say, oh, the Germans won. I'll tell you who won. Jesus had been born in a little corner of the Roman Empire. And in those first 300 years, Christianity had spread throughout the Roman Empire like yeast. It had landed in Rome, and Emperor Constantine had ended a persecution of Christianity, making it a recognized faith. When Germany consumed Rome, it consumed a Trojan horse. And inside the Trojan horse of Rome was hidden the gospel which then spread through all of the European world and eventually to the ends of the earth. It spread through a people loving others in Jesus' name, moving into territories with a gospel of compassion and grace, and then letting the Holy Spirit clean us and others together. This week... Uh, we begin Alpha, our uh, Monday night series, Monday night, 6.30 at Frisella's Restaurant, and we, uh, we invite everybody in the neighborhood to come have a meal with us. We move into the neighborhood, a message of compassion and grace. We watch a video about the life of Jesus, and the only rule is you can't tell anybody they're wrong. The purpose is to invite people into conversation, not to scold them and correct them. And we just let the Holy Spirit do the hard work. I still remember when I was first uh, exposed to Alpha and how it worked. Uh, I went to a church in Santa Monica that was practicing Alpha, and, and I went to see their Alpha program. They had a, a big dinner one night, free food, and uh, 250 people in their 20s poured in off the street for this. And, and I, I was sitting at a table, and there was a woman sitting at the table next to me, and we were both kind of doodling around on our phones. And I, I turned to her, and I said, uh, do you go to this church? And she said, in this Slovakian accent, she said, no, I'm an atheist. And I said, oh, uh, how did you find your way here then? And she goes, my boyfriend brought me. And I said, oh, is, does he go to this church? And she said, no, he's an atheist too. And I said, then why are you here? This is a Christian thing, right? This is a church. They're going to show videos about Jesus. Why, why do you come to this? And she goes, oh, it's amazing. They have good food. The people are nice. They have, they have Hollywood quality videos. And then you sit around the table, and I'll edit her language a little bit. She said, at the table, if you think everything they say is baloney, you just tell them it's baloney. And they love you anyway, because they're Christians. Never in my life have I heard a non-Christian person say, what I like about Christians is they love you anyway. 
That's what Christians are about. That is what Christians are about. That's who you and I are going to be. And that's how God's kingdom is going to spread in the world. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, put us at the forefront of the spread of your kingdom. Teach us to love recklessly in your name those unclean people that we have always been taught to avoid. Send us into their communities with grace and love. Put us in places to distribute groceries, to pray for people who don't pray, to invite conversation with those who seem to believe all the wrong things. And then heal us as you heal them. Make our hearts clean in faith by the power of your spirit within us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.